I was kicking around the idea of going backwards just a little bit. Um, I think I will just real briefly. You know, in, in the prophecy update today, I think it's important to highlight um, the other event coupled with all of this that, that really is very interesting this week is that for the first time um, since 1960, the president of Turkey, um, his name is, I always can't pronounce this guy's name, Edwin? Edwin, Aragon, Edwin. The other guy from Iran, I knew his name, Ahmadinejad, because I just remembered I'm a dinner jacket. And then I could always remember Ahmadinejad, but that guy, he, he's harder to remember. But Edwan was in um, Vatican City this last week meeting with the Pope. Now, what's interesting is that um, Turkey is a very Muslim nation and country, and Edouan, um went there representing the, the um, ideas and the needs of the nation of Islam, not so much Turkey. And the Vatican, as you know, he met personally with Pope Francis, who represents the needs of the, the Catholics in, in the whole. Why is that really interesting? Number one, what um, are the heads of states of the Catholic Church and of Islam doing getting together in the first place? Um, but what's interesting enough about it is the Bible does talk about, and Jesus said that during the, the last days, during the seven-year tribulation period, there would be a one-world religion. And it doesn't mean that everybody left in the world will be a part of that religion, but that there will be a one-world religion. And as you look at biblical prophecy, and you follow biblical prophecy 30, 40 years ago, really it was the Catholic Church. And Islam was kind of off the radar. And you would think of how they would fit in, and you always followed as, as a prophecy buff the Pope, and who was the next Pope, and the policies of, of, of because there's, you know, Today, Catholicism is the second largest religion, or the third largest religion in the world at about 1.2 billion. Islam is the second at, um, I think they're just over 2 billion now. And Christianity is the first. But when you get the second and the third, when you get a, a number of about 3 billion people represented under this number, and, and that when, for the first time since 1960, the head of Turkey visits the Vatican to meet with the Pope, because they have something that's that important that they want to meet about, and they haven't had anything that important in almost 60 years. And all of a sudden today, there's something that the last 60 years didn't provide. And what was it? What did they meet about? The hatred of the Jew. About Jerusalem. About Israel. And both of them are unhappy that President Trump has recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And we're going to move our embassy there. And to do something about it, they got together. Now, I, I, someone commented, I think Pat was one commented, you know, we were talking about it, that, you know, some of his Catholic friends don't agree with them being against Israel and against the Jews and against them moving the Jewish state um, capital to Jerusalem. And I think that would be true. It'd probably be even true of some Muslims. But um, as a whole, the leaders of these two, you know, entities getting together for the sole purpose of figuring out what they want to do and how they're going to combat President Trump's decision to move Jerusalem to Israel. It's very interesting. Okay, nonetheless, that's all I'm saying on that. Okay, that was way before. Now we got to change gears. You guys ready? Everybody change gears? Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for um, Colossians chapter 3 today. You guys ready for a marriage message? Yeah? How many of you guys' marriages are just slamming? You don't need this. You'll just call it a day right now. And Mine included, they can always get a little bit better. Um, I have highlighted here in my Bible, 
um, five different like areas of life that, that he's going to talk to. Look at just the first word of the first five verses. First one in 18 is wives. Second one in 19 is husband. Third one in, in 20 is children. Fourth one is fathers. And the fifth one is bondservants. And then if you go down to chapter four, verse one, masters. So we have these six different groups and all of us fit into one, two, three, four of these different groups. So there are some practical wisdom for everybody in what we're going to do today. And I want to start with um, a, first a concept before we get into talking about marriage and the rules of marriage and what Paul wants to say to the wives and the husbands and the children, because I think we have, and we always would have right folks that maybe don't fit in the category of husband and wife. Maybe we have single folks in here. Maybe we have younger people in here who are not even in that stage of life. Maybe we have um, divorced folks in here. We have, um, you know, di- different, different groups. And so, um, one of the concepts that I want to share that's, that's practical for all of us is this idea, and it's really foundational to your Christianity, is trust in the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, so really it covers such a wide range of, of belief and of faith. It is just that, that God expects you guys to trust in him. And, and, I, and, I, and I say this thing, we have the, the add God. We talked about it last week, the God factor, right? We call it add God. So you take, um, for example, you take the, the 5,000 people that needed to be fed and the disciples who had um, three loaves and five fish. And they're looking at three loaves and five fish and 5,000 people. And there's no way that these people are going to get fed. Right? Add God. And then Jesus, when you add the God factor and you add God's economy into it, what does Jesus do? He takes the little bit and he multiplies it and the 5,000 people get fed. And sometimes we look at life um, based on our circumstances. We look at life, life based on what's happening in the room around us and we forget what's almost like everything under the sun and we forget there's something going on above the sun. There's something going on in the heavens that we never want to forget in our life. And that's the trust God. That's the add God factor. And why am I stressing that? Because it happens in the church a lot in relationships. And we're talking about relationships today. It happens a lot in the church in um, the area of trusting in the Lord, especially here in Utah. Why? Why do you think? You guys checked our demographic lately? You looking for a hot husband? You need a hot wife? Well, the math says that there's less than 1% evangelical Christians in, in Utah. So you've got less than 1% of the population to choose from. Not very much out there to choose from. Kind of, you know, I'm in a bad way. You know, and I was talking to somebody recently about it. And, you know, this person was saying, you know, my age in life, my stage in life, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go meet somebody in the bar. And I said, well, God, I hope not. That's the last place in the world you'd ever want to meet a spouse is in the bar. But, um, Maybe some of you met in the bar. It's okay. You're redeemed now in Jesus. That's cool. But, um, but, and, and he said, you know, I'm not, I'm just not the personality, the type. I'm not going to go on christianmingle.com and, you know, and, and find a wife and, you know, and I, and I think christianmingle.com is cool. You know, it's, it's, we don't live in the day we used to live in. I think, you know, a while ago people were, who met online would always be embarrassed to tell people they met online, you know, and that's not the, that's not the case anymore. You know, I know a lot of folks that met online and, you know, it's cool. It's okay. And it's culturally, it's good, but, and I think it's good, but you know, it was just sharing, you know, how, how would I find a wife, you know? And, 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 and I look around church and there's no eligible bachelorettes or bachelors. There's no one to choose from. What am I going to do? 
And, and, and when we look at our circumstance and we look at our room, and listen, I get it. But, but what I reminded him was, listen, add God. I will trust in you. That's what we just sang. Did, did the disciples feed 5,000 people with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread? Yes or no? Yes, they did. Did God create the heavens and the earth and all that is in them out of nothing? Did God make a fish and put a human in it and swim him 2,000 miles across the ocean and spit him up exactly where he wanted him? I think God could probably find you a spouse. He can do stuff like that. He, he's, he's got this one. And, and, but we do, and I understand. We, 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 look at the, we look at the circumstance, and it seems dire. And here's the other thing we do. We, we, we have a desire for companionship, and, and, and we, we feel strongly about it. And we want to do something about it. But listen, Satan knows you have that. And so what does he do? He brings counterfeits in your way. He, he brings something that, that gives you the opportunity not to trust in the Lord. You know when Jonah wanted to go the opposite way? When he went down to the harbor, guess what he found? He found plenty of boats going exactly the opposite way that he wanted to go. Jonah had no problem getting on a boat and going the wrong way. Why? Because Satan's going to put that boat in your life. He's going to make, if you, if, if you, if you want to go the wrong way, guess what? When you show up at the dock, Satan's going to make sure your carriage is there to take you the wrong way. And he does that in so many different areas. He puts counterfeits in our lives. And because we don't trust in the Lord, we take them. And we look at the situation under the sun. And you know that desire we have in your heart for companionship? You know how evil that is for you? Just kidding. <laughs> That's what people think sometimes. Like, well, I must be evil. I must be a terrible person because I want companionship. No, God gave you that. It's not evil. It's blessed. It's good. It's so awesome. You can celebrate it. You, you can admit it. It's cool. God gave it to you. God put it in there. You know why testosterone goes crazy in boys around 17, 18 years old? Because God designed it that way. It's not by accident. Kids aren't crazy, you know, because they run around and their eyes big. God made them that way. It's cool. But, but God also set some boundaries out. And he wants us to live within those boundaries. And, 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 um, and, and, but the whole thing is trusting God because if God gave that desire to you, he also understands that it's his responsibility to meet it in your life. But there's going to be an opportunity for you to go the wrong way. We just have to trust in the Lord and walk with the Lord. And God, um, God will provide. And, you know, it breaks my heart. I see it too often. It always breaks my heart. You know, it breaks my heart because, you know, I, I just, I know God will do something if, if people would trust him and wait and, and, and do the right thing, you know. And, and really, the, the, one of the simple principles of, of Christian dating, you guys, of free Christian singles is the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. You know, I was reading this chapter today. It says, wives, submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Do you realize that if you're unequally yoked, there's no way that you can be obedient to these things with non-believers. I mean, it just goes, it starts with being unequally yoked and then it goes into every other area of Christian relationships and of what God designed in relationships, period, if you don't have two believers involved. And so, so you wait and God will provide. Amen. Trust in the Lord. All right. So it says in verse number 18, men, you ready? Put your chest out. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So again, not my words, but um, the Lord's words, okay? And it's biblical, but let's talk about it. 
It shouldn't be. It does kind of feel that way, right? And and wrongfully so if us men think that what this means is that, you know, wives submit and that, that that makes me a ruler or somehow above a woman or somehow positionally different. Listen, it's um, in God's eyes, men and women are created equal. They're the same. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And God designed a structure of uh, of living that's that's a certain way. But God took a woman from a man's rib. Not a, not, a, not a bone of his head that she should rule over him. Not a bone from his foot that he should walk over her. But a rib, a bone close to his heart, under his arm, right where a woman is supposed to be. And, and in God's design, the Bible says God created a male and female. He created them. He didn't, he didn't make a mistake in that. He created us both the way that he designed us. God is not a man. God is not a woman. God is a spirit. We can't even use those terms. We, we call God in, in the male form throughout the scripture, but it's an anthropomorphic term that describes a God that's outside of our time and space can continuum and dimension. And none of those things limit God. And God is, is, is not, those are human terms that we use to describe a holy God. But the best we understand about God, the Bible says God is spirit. And so God said, I'm going to create a man and a woman. And he said, I'm creating them in my image. Guess what? A man and a woman both are created in the image of God. And so God took some of his strengths and he put them into the woman. And he took some of his strengths and he put them into the man. And by design, he left the, the, the man incomplete. And you women are like, I know. <laughs> and by design, he left the women incomplete. And you men are like, I know. And then he said, let's do this. Let's take two people. The only, only dynamic in the whole world that I'm going to do this with, God said. And let's take two people and literally make them one flesh. Two people becoming one flesh, husbands and wives. Because if you take the strengths of the man, the strength of the woman, and they both desire to be like Jesus, and you put them together, you find a more complete, a more, a more Christ-centered union. Not to mention the fact that the two becoming one flesh is a picture of all of us becoming the bride of Christ one day and going to heaven to be with Jesus as his bride. It's an it's a earthly picture of, a, of an event in heaven. And, and so the idea first here of the structure is that, that women are to submit. And now in, in our culture, I think we, again, we don't like this word submit because I think when we think submit, we're, in my mind, now I'm a lot younger than a lot of you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm a lot older than a lot of you, so I don't think so much in terms of, of UFC. I think more in terms of, like, WWE. And it was like WWF when I was a kid. When Hulk Hogan and those guys were in it, you know, they were ruling the world, it was the WWF. But when I think of submission, I'm thinking of, like, the camel clutch, you know? Or I'm thinking of, like, an arm bar, and you're tapping the mat to, to, to submit. And that's kind of the idea we think of submit. But that's, that's not the biblical word submit here, okay? The Greek word is um, and so if you look in verse, um, number 20, it says children obey. That's a different Greek word. Submit and obey are two different words. So the obey there in, in verse number 20 is, is from the same root word, but it's hupakawo. It's a different Greek word to describe it. Now the word submit in, in Ephesians, Paul says the same thing that he writes here to the Colossians, but he uses the word respect. And we like that word because culturally it, it carries a little better meaning of what it means and what God's desire is. And so women, your call of God on your life is to respect your husband and treat him with respect. And then um, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So for each of us, and, and, and marriage is very complicated, okay? And, and yet, 
in the complication of marriage, God gives one rule for the husband and one rule for the wife. You think, goodness, Lord, you could have done a little better than that. Like, are you trying to say that marriage is not complicated? Because I'm pretty sure to be married to her, I got to remember like 652 different things and do them right. Seems to be lots of stuff going on in my marriage. And all you give me is one particular commandment and help to love my wife as Christ loved the church. God says, yep. Why is that? Why for you wives only one commandment? Because they're the, the only two for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm naturally going to do all 652 things that she needs in her life and desires and expects from me. And, and, and if I really love, her as Christ loved the church, then, then I'm going to meet those needs. And it's the one rule that I can focus on that can cover all the myriad of things I got to do well as a husband. And for a wife, it's the same thing. You, you know, Billy Graham used to say, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And, and, and that came from Billy Graham in one of his sermons, but it really is true. And, and by design, listen, God designed women with a number one need. God designed men with a number one need. They're different. The world doesn't think so. You know, the Beatles sang, all you need is love. And then they broke up, right? <laughs> but but that's, that's, that's culturally what, what we think relationships are about is love. But it's not true biblically. Because what a, what a real biblical relationship is about and what we really need is different between a man and a woman. And it says it right here. You don't believe me? Read it. Go to Ephesians 5. Read it there. Husbands love, wives respect. Because a man's number one need is to be respected. A wife's number one need is to be loved. And so here's what God does in marriage. He puts you two together. The two don't come natural. Me as a man, I naturally understand respect. I'm born with it. You know, me and one of my buddies out on the street, you know, if he disrespects me, what do two men have to do when they disrespect each other? We got to go outside and roll around in the street to figure, figure it out, right? Because you disrespected me. I live on a respect code. I understand a respect code. It's natural for me. But God doesn't tell me to respect my wife. I wish he would have because I could get that. I understand that. I was born with that. But he tells me to love her. And then he creates a woman who naturally understands love. You get two women together, what do they do? Oh, honey, you look so sweet. You're so pretty. I love your nails. Where did you get them done? You know, you get two guys together and like, you bum, you're still wearing them ripped jeans. You were wearing those last Wednesday when I saw you, dude. Don't you ever wash your pants? And the women are going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you talked to him that way. But we're, we're just messing around. We're not going to cross that line of disrespect because we understand that. But we're created different. And, and, and you would think that if what I need is respect, God would create in, within women that natural understanding for respect. But he didn't. He created in them a natural understanding for love. When we read Genesis chapter um, three and we read how God created man and women and male and female, he created them. And we just read right over that. And we don't realize that there's a ton of theology packed in that little verse. Here's the thing, ladies. When God made your, your husband the way that he is, it was by design. He didn't make a mistake. Here's the thing, men. When God made your wife the way she is, it's by design. He didn't make a mistake. That's the way he wanted her. That's the way he wanted him. You know, we don't get it. What do you mean? Really? God really wanted him to be a lughead, you know, grunt all the time, stink and not have emotions and be so matter of fact. And God created her to be so emotional and so like spaghetti and everything touches everything in her life. And 
yeah, that's the way God designed it on purpose so that you'd have to figure out how to be other centered. So you'd have to be more like Jesus to do what God tells you to do. You know, men and women are so different. And, and you know, what, what we do in marriage is guys, you, you want your wife to respond like your, like your friends do, like your guy friends do, like you'd get that. And you get frustrated because she doesn't act like a guy. She doesn't just get it. She just doesn't want to fix it. She wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to fix it. And then, and then girls, you, you want your husbands to respond like your girlfriends do and feel emotional and, you know, and, and talk about it and have these different things. And so you're frustrated when your husband doesn't act like a woman. And so you're constantly trying to get your husband to act like a woman. And men, you're constantly trying to get your women to act like men. Women, guess what you don't want? Guess what will turn you off like that? A guy that acts like a girl. And girls, guess what you don't want? A man that acts like a woman. And so stop trying to make them like us. And this is what the idea is here, is that we're different by design. And we celebrate those differences. We, we, we serve those differences. We minister to those differences. And that's the key. We minister to those differences. You know, you take two men. You know, we, we go hunting for a week. You know, let's say me and Jay back there. We go hunting for a week, you know. And for a week, we sit shoulder to shoulder in a tree stand. And we shoot things and we kill things. And we grunt when we do it. Arrgh! We get out our knives and we get bloody and we love it. And we build a big bonfire and try to set the whole forest on fire. So we have like a 27-foot fire in the forest. And we just, you know, throw things on it and pee on it. And like, it's cool. And we have a great time for a week out in the woods. And then my wife and, you know, her girlfriend go away for a weekend. And they sit face-to-face for the week. And they talk and they relate. And, you know, and I get home from my trip with Jay hunting. And Lydia says, how's Jay's wife? And I say, Jay's married? Yeah, and how are his kids? Jay has kids? Really? I didn't spend time talking about his kids and his wife and, you know. But she went away for a week with a girlfriend, and I better put my seatbelt on. Because she's going to tell me everything there is to know about her girlfriend's sisters, friends, brothers, dogs, mailman's cat, and all the problems that it had at the vet. And I'm like, really? And I got to sit there and act like I care about every detail what the vet's name was and where he was located and where they brought the cat. And I'm like, are you serious? It's a cat. Like, you know, and your, your wife wants to, she, she wants to tell you a story A to Z. And for men, we're like, well, just cut out B through Y and just give me Z. Give me A and Z and let's fix it. And that's how we communicate. And if I was communicating with my friend, you know, if, if Dan tells me, hey, man, my, my, my carburetor's not working, I'm assuming he's telling me that because he wants me to help him fix this carburetor. And so we're going to talk about, okay, did you check this? Did you do that? that. If Lydia comes in and says, my carburetor's not working, she don't want me to fix it. She wants to tell me about it. She just wants me to listen. Okay, we, I, we can fix it. No, no, I just got to listen. And so I sit there and she's got to relate. Now, let, let's pretend for a moment. I don't have to try to justify to our group here that um, as a wife, you're called to, to respect and submit to your husband. And, and for a moment, I don't have to convince you men that God's call on your life is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let's say you're in, okay? Your wife in here and you say, okay, I, I know my husband's number one need in life by God is to feel respected and I'm gonna treat him with respect. 
And I know by design that my wife's number one need in life is to be loved. And my job is to meet her need to be loved. So I'm going to do it. I'm in. I'm a wife that's in. I'm going to respect my husband. I'm a husband that's in. I'm going to love my wife. What's the next natural question? How do I do that? Okay, I'll do it. But I don't really know how. What? I, I, don't, I don't live on a love code. She doesn't live on a respect code. How do you... Um, practically show respect and do what the Bible tells you to do. If you want to have a good married life, you'll do these things. You know, I, I've seen mar- I've seen couple uh, married couples who are not even believers, who are um, I, I don't even know how to describe them, but basically, who um, in a, in a secular f- setting as much as possible. The wife respects the husband. She makes his lunch. She does things that show respect to him, whatever that may be. And the wife um, and the husband dotes on his wife and he loves her. And neither one of them are Christian. But guess what happens in that marriage? It works. You know, it could fall apart. I've seen that happen too without Jesus. I wouldn't want to do it without Jesus. But basically, because the Bible says that the principles of God, the oracles of God are yes and amen. You can even take the principles and the oracles of God and apply them to other situations and they'll work. Well, this particular one works. This is what works in relationships. Husbands love their wives and wives see that she respect her husband. So again, I'm back to the how. You're in, you, you want to say how. Now, Lydia and I, we, we teach that class. We, uh, we, we teach it out of a book. We went to the class, we learned it first, and then um, now we share it, the how-to. And, and the reason why I think we'd been married about 10 years when we went to this seminar, and um, the question finally got answered for us. Like Lydia was feeling like when we left the seminar, you know, I, I understood the respect thing, but I never knew like how, now I have like some tangible things that I can do that, to show respect to my husband. And I left the conference with some tools thinking, here's some practical things I can do now that show love to my wife. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a series or a book called Love and Respect. I keep copies here in the church. We use them for all our marriage counseling. We pass them out. So I always have four or five on hand. I think I got about two or three left in there. If anybody wants one, needs one, I'd be happy to loan it to you. I'd be happy to give it to you. I encourage you to go to Amazon and buy one, whether your marriage is good, whether your marriage is bad. Um, that is, and we've done lots of marriage books over the years. There's lots of good ones, I promise you. But this is the one that Lydia and I use the most and recommend. And we got the most good out of in our marriage because it's simply a commentary on the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Peter. And it just walks you through what simply what the Bible says about marriage and about how husbands should love and how wives should respect. Okay. So I don't want to leave today without at least giving you guys one how, and like I said, I don't have time to go through all the hows and really unpack this whole thing for you. But, um, so for, for, um, men, I'll start with you. How to one, one, how today, it's all you get. You want more, you got to pay for those. No, I'm just kidding. We'll meet with you anytime. We'll give you all that we know. It's not much. It won't take long. So it says how to, um, how to love your wife. Now, men, here, so I'll give you the number one how. Your wife, um, she relates to you emotionally. She needs to feel connected to you um, um, in, a, in an intellectual and an emotional sense. Now, she does not make that connection through sex. Okay? So contrary to what you think... That's not how she gets turned on. That's not how she feels close to you. She will feel close to you if the other needs are met and then that thing happens. But your wife um, needs to connect to you emotionally. And this is how she does it. She tells you about every detail of her life. And you care. And you turn the sports center off. And you put your phone away while she's talking and you look her in the eyes and you spend a little bit of time investing in her. 
And that spells love to your wife. If she, if she knows and she needs that, that's the way when, that's the way God created your wife to communicate with you. And so when she comes home and she wants to go through all of the day and everything that happened, if you'll spend a few minutes every day just listening, looking her in the eyes, face-to-face time, women like face-to-face. Again, like I said, guys, we're shoulder-to-shoulder. What we like to do as men, we do it shoulder-to-shoulder. Women do it face-to-face. And, and so you, you sit face-to-face, you turn off all the distractions. And if she really thinks you care about all the details and all her story throughout the day, then 10 o'clock at night gets better. You know, and for you men, you know, 10 o'clock at night, it starts at 959. That's how you men are, you know, like 959, you start ramming up and by 10 o'clock, you're ready to go. Well, women are completely different. For them, it starts at 959, but AM, not PM. (laughs) You know, and whatever happened throughout the day determines, you know, and that's part of the investment of connecting with her emotionally. And if she feels close to you on that level, then, then she's much more willing and much more likely to feel close to you and want to be close with you on other levels. And so it's just that investment. A pastor friend of ours and his wife, they, in order to make an investment in this part of their marriage, they would have this thing they would do called couch time. And when he got home from work and she was a stay home at mom at the time and um, was going a little bit crazy during the day, sometimes staying home with the kids and, um, he would sit down on the couch and she would tell him all about her day and they would talk. And before he'd turn the TV on, before he would get involved in whatever his man duties were and chores in life. He would sit down and just spend some time talking with his wife and allowing her to, to communicate with him and administer to her. It was something that she needed in their relationship. And men, your wives need that. Now, another clue for men, and I'm going to ask you women to help us out. There's two types of conversations that women have. Okay. One is just listen. I just want to vent. I just need you to listen. I just need you to care. I just need you to let me know that you love me and that, you know, when I'm done, just say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I love you. You're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Just encourage. And, and then there's a second type of conversation that your wife has. And th- that one is, I need some advice. But if you blow it, men, and you try to have the, you're just supposed to listen conversation and you're supposed to be having that one and you're trying to be in the fix it conversation, you're a lughead and you don't care and you're stupid and, you know, why don't you just listen and, you know, like, so what happens, ladies, is you say, hey, I want to talk. And immediately as men, this like, this like alarm starts, like we start getting scared and we kind of get, you know, like nervous and our ears start getting red because you're like, uh-oh, if I blow this one where it's going to be a bad night and is this just listen or is this fix it? Which is it? Which is it? Is just listen or fix it? And, you know, and if you get it wrong, it's just, well, why don't you say something? Why don't you help me? You're like, oh, shoot, I got it wrong. I thought it was, I thought it was just listen. That's why. So ladies, ladies, do yourself a favor, okay? It's not somewhere over the rainbow. Forget all that nonsense, okay? This is real life. So just tell us, hey, I just need you to listen. Will you just do that for us? And we'll listen. We'll hang out with you. We'll pretend like we care as you tell us about the mailman. Just kidding. We really, really do care. (laughs) I can't even say that with a straight face. (laughs) We do. We really care. Um, but just tell us, just let us know, Hey, I just need you to listen. And, and, and then that lets us know, like we can relax now we can be there with you we can walk through it with you. Or if you say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what is your advice on this? Or, Hey, you know, then we know that we can jump in as we would with one of our guy friends and, and talk about a solution. Cause that's what we think conversations are for. Like if we're going to have a conversation, it's probably because, you know, somebody needs help and we need to fix something and solve something. 
Otherwise, what do we talk? What's what's to talk about? Like, let's fix it. And then when we fix it, we can go back to grunting and we're good, you know? Like, and so just let us know. All right? So that's for the guys. That's that's your one how today, and I'm running out of time. Men or women. Okay, I gave the guys one way how to love their wives. So men, one way to respect your husband, show up naked. That's it. And hot wings don't hurt. That we're, we're really that simple. That's, that spells respect to us. Okay, that's respect all day long. And it's a barometer of our relationship and of, of how we're doing. And if we show love to you and, and that's it. I'm really serious. That's, that's, that's the advice for you ladies for today. That spells respect to your husband. Um, we're going to be on verse 20 in a minute here. Hey, no, I want to, I want to tell you guys a little something about, um, men. I'll give you this much. Um, it, it's not, um, it's not our fault. <laughs> God, God designed us a certain way. Um, and in the area of respect, the number one need God, God designed us with, with, um, a desire to, to do well, you know, where, where men have a really hard time is if they're failing in business and, you know, a husband who comes home, who's had a hard time at work or is really just failing at business and not succeeding. He's gonna have a real hard time communicating and sharing that with his wife, because it's something that's built in us by God to, to conquer, to, to do well, to lead. And, and, and God knows that God created that in us. And that's why he calls you as women to, to meet that need and make us feel respected. And so, um, one of the things that would happen when Lydia and I first got married is um, to this day, as you guys know, I take a lot of leadership and direction from her dad, which was at the time and still is. He was my pastor. He was my father-in-law. He was my boss who signed my paychecks. So I had this interesting dynamic. You know, I, I, was, I worked for him. He was my dad, my father-in-law, and he was my pastor. And so, you know, and, and, and Pastor Gerald is, is an amazing person. We, we love him with all our heart. Our church is here today because of him. And so we got so much love and respect for him. And um, he's done, a, you know, such an amazing job. And one of the things that he's gifted in is administration. It's, it's a gift of the spirit. And not only is he a teaching pastor and um, has a gift of teaching, but a large ministry with lots of different moving parts that he is real hands-on in all the decisions of daily stuff that goes on there. And so when Lydia and I first got married, um, and we would need to decide something. She would always want to call her dad and ask him what he thought. And, you know, if her and I talked about it and I, and I made a, a suggestion and then she called her dad and he agreed with what I said, then she'd come back and go, okay, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I just told you that you'd have to call your dad and get the same, but, but if she called her dad and he had a different idea, she would come back and say, no, nope, I don't like that idea. We're not doing that. <laughs> I like this idea, no matter what, you know, and so I started feeling disrespected and, I, and it wasn't in a position, nor are we as men sometimes to understand that and say to her, hey, you know what? It really feels disrespectful when you, you know, but, but that's how I was feeling. I was feeling like I couldn't make decisions in our house and that I'm a man and, and I, I can't, you know, her dad makes all the decisions for our house and she's not letting me lead. And she's not letting me, giving me the rightful place that God has called me to as a spiritual leader in the head of our home. And one day, and so I would make bad decisions because I cared more. And men, ladies, listen, this is what your, your husband cares more about. He cares more that it's his decision than it's the right decision. Right or wrong, you love it or leave it, it's the truth. Because that's the way God created him. Because he's a jerk? No, not because he's a jerk. Well, he is a jerk too, but 
Besides the fact that he's a jerk, it's because that's the way God created him. And so I would make bad decisions and I didn't care. Because I'm making a point. This is my house now. I'm all of like 22 years old and I'm married to an 18-year-old girl. And well, I was actually 22, 7. No, I'm just kidding. I'm five and a half years older than Lydia. So I was, what, 23 when we got married. And she, um, you know, and, and then God spoke to her heart about what was happening. And we came to a crossroad, and I remember her telling me real clear, you know, like, I trust you. I'll let you make the decision. I said, well, aren't you going to call your dad? She said, no, I'm not going to call my dad. Whatever you decide, she even said this. She said, even if you blow it and it's wrong, I'll only rub it in for like 10, 10, 10 minutes. No, she said, she said I'll, 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 it's okay. Even, even if you're wrong, like, I'll follow you. It's okay. I'll let you make mistakes. Because you got to let your husbands make mistakes, ladies. And, and then all of a sudden she said, what, what are we going to do? What, what's the decision for us? What, what do you think we should do? And now all of a sudden, because she's letting me lead, she's turning over to me responsibility. That's my God-given responsibility to lead this house and do it well and succeed. Now, all of a sudden, I have pressure to make a good decision. Before, I didn't have that pressure. I didn't care before. But now, all of a sudden, she, she's, she's saying, okay, you can have it. It's yours. It's rightfully yours. I'm going to give it to you. I love you. I'll trust you. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Where do you want to go? And I'm like, oh, I got to make a good decision. Hey, call your dad. <laughs> And uh, see what he thinks about this. Think what we should do. And then we'd get his advice and his wisdom. I had no problems at that point because I, I felt like it was my decision. And I always tease, but it's true. I tell you, ladies, you make him think he's making the decision. That's all you got to do. It's a craft. It's a skill. You just let him think he's leading and you find a way to, to lead and let him think he's doing it and your life will go well. Because as long as he thinks he's making the decisions, life is good. So... That's your, your tidbit. And now, um, lots to cover now in the last few, few minutes, but we're going to try. And, and it says, children obey, your pa- children, obey your parents in all things, for this is the will pleasing to the Lord. So if you're children in here today, under 18 or so, where are you? I see you out there. Um, this is for you guys. And so the Bible says for you, children, obey your parents. This is multiple times that, that this is what God says to you. Now, as we talked about already, does that mean that your parents are always make the best and the right and the greatest decisions for your life? Maybe not. But guess what? Do it anyways. It doesn't matter. It's not that your parents have to make the right decision. But God says this to you children. Listen, kids in here, under 18. God is going to bless your life if you obey your parents, even if they make bad decisions for you. You know, in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are pretty matter of fact. Like God doesn't mess around. He doesn't fool around. He doesn't try to beat around the bush or baby you or talk you into it. In the Ten Commandments, God says, do not lie. Guess what comes after that? A period. Quit lying. That's it. When it comes to steal, what does God say? Oh, please, if you just would stop thinking about considering stealing for a moment. No, what does God say? He says, do not steal. That's it. Period. Shut up. Don't do it. That's it. Until he's talking to the children in the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are kind of an important thing, right, kids? And when he comes to the commandment for children in the Ten Commandments, he says, if you will obey your parents in the Lord, life will go well for you. And then Paul tells us it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. God promises you kids to obey your parents and your life will go well. 
And again, it doesn't mean that your parents always make the perfect and right decisions. I guarantee you that they make decisions that they, they believe they have your best interests at hand. But you just do it. And you do it unto the Lord, and God will bless your life for it. I love the story of, of Pastor um, um, uh, Skip's wife, Lenya. When Lenya was a teenager, she was um, an older teenager, 17, 18 years old. She was doing missions work with an organization. Some of you might have heard for a while, real popular, called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And they would do overseas and, and missions for youth all over. And she was working with YWAM and doing missions. And she came home after her senior year, after summer senior year, and graduated and uh, approaching 18 or 18 at the time. And, and she told her dad that she just had an amazing season with YWAM and she's going to go back and do another semester serving a mission with YWAM. And her dad, who was a believer, who loved Jesus, um, said, I, I don't think so. And she said, what do you mean? I feel like God's calling me to go back. And she said, I, he said, I don't. He said, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I don't think it's best for you right now. I don't think that's the best organization for you to be spending these next six months with. I think you should stay home and do some other things. And you, you can't go. And she had a decision to make. She's old enough now that she can make her own decisions and do it. And she called her pastor at YWAM, true story. And, he, and she said, you know, my dad said I can't go, but, but I know God's calling me. And, 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 I, and I'll be disobedient to God if I don't go. What should I do? And he said, listen to your father. She said, what? He said, you're not disobedient to God. He said, that's what the Bible says. Obey your parents. You're still under his house. You're still under his rule and God will bless him. Your dad might be, your dad might be being disobedient to God, but you're not. And God will bless you. And so she went back to her dad and she said, dad, um, I, I've decided that I'm going to honor your wishes and I'm going to stay. And um, so I'll be here and, and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. And her dad said, good, great, you know, and a couple days went by and her dad got up in the early in the morning one day and he came out where she was and he was visibly shaken. And she said, what's up, dad? And he said, God spoke to me last night and uh, you're supposed to go to YWAM and I was wrong. And true story. And, and, and she went, but listen, now when she went, what happened? She went with God's blessing. She went with, with God's hand on it and she did what was right. And for you kids, you know, allow God to work in your lives through your parents, because that's the way that God designed it. And God will, and God can. And again, we talked about already trusting in the Lord. How big is your God? And sometimes, you know, but your parents have, have, um, you know, your best interest at hand. Sometimes they make decisions you don't understand today, but you will understand one day. And ultimately, if you believe in God and you trust God, just know that God says he's going to bless you for it. Okay. He's going to take, take care of it. And then it says, um, last one, you guys, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So interesting thing, really quick, you guys, in verse um, 19 and in verse 21, only speaking to the fathers and the husbands, do we have a negative commandment? Wives love, um, I mean, wives respect, wives submit, children obey, and they're, they're positive. And then he gets to the husbands and to us twice, he says, do not, do not be bitter towards your wives because that's a tendency that we have um, in verse number 19. And then to the, so, so not being bitter towards your wife, that's something you have to deal with and not allowing bitterness to creep in and being upset all the time. And then he tells us as dads, do not provoke your children to wrath. So what does that mean? Um, you know, I think part of it is simple and we as dads have a tendency to, to irritate our kids and provoke them to wrath. And, and why should we not provoke them to wrath? And why should we, we, why should fathers not provoke our children? Verse 21, because they become discouraged. Isn't it Satan's job to discourage folks? We don't want to do the work of Satan. 
And what happens in discouragement with our kids? When they feel like no matter what they do, they can't make you happy. Dad's never happy and I can never do right. And they're discouraged. And then they just, they, 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 they lose all the air in their balloon and they don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to do anything. They lose their motivation and they become depressed. And it's a huge problem that we don't discourage our kids by provoking them to anger. And listen, God created your kids to be exactly what he's called them to be. So let them be. Doesn't the Bible say train up a child in the way he, he should go? Not in the way you wish you would have went. I played football when I was a kid, so you're going to play football. Her, her, her. And you, your son is just not built for football, nor does he like football. And God says to you, uh, no, I've called him to be in the ballet. And I want him to dance for Jesus. And you're like, oh, my. But letting him be who God's called him to be. Loving them through it, not discouraging them, not thinking they're less than. And if, if you played football and they want a ballet, you love them through it and you, you encourage them and you don't provoke them. And you let them find out who God's called them to be. You know, the most important thing, you guys, for our kids is not that they're the quarterback of the football team or even that they get straight A's or any of those other things is, is that they love Jesus. John tells us... Um, Old man John says, there's no greater joy than to see my kids walk with the Lord. So your ultimate goal in joy for your kids is not that they become what you wish you would have become. Is it just that they simply walk with Jesus? And if you do that, you've succeeded. And so in, in allowing our kids, now, what does it mean to provoke? Sometimes I ask myself, like, well, how, how do I do that? I want to be careful I don't do that because I know the dangers as a father of provoking my children. So I looked at some other translations and some others put it this way. Uh, fathers, um, do not fret. Um, do not harass, do not exasperate. And here's a good one that's kind of practical. Do not overcorrect your children. And, and part of that overcorrecting is that as, as dads, um, we might overcorrect in, in when we, we have a, a reaction based on something that irritated us. You know, a kid does something and it irritates us and then we overreact. That, that's provoking. Okay, that's, that's where kids like don't get it. And if your kids are in trouble, and even if you think they should, and they don't really understand what they did and why you're so angry with them, then, then we, it's missed, and they, they could get provoked because they, they just don't understand why you're so mad or what they did. And so maybe talking, maybe trying to help them understand what's wrong and what the problem was and what they did. But again, dads, you, you don't want to be guilty of provoking your children, okay? So just be on your guard for that. And then, um, as we talked about last week, not how often, but now. Sometimes we, we get stuck in life of, oh, I don't know how. I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to respect my husband. I don't know how to not provoke my kids. And then we never do nothing. But instead of how, just make it now. Just start doing it. Start loving your wife. Start, stop pro- provoking your kids. And then and, and once you jump into the now and you add God to it, God, God will walk you through it and God will teach you. Um, and then the last one is how to be a bond servant. We're so out of time, you guys. I was supposed to finish 25, but um, we didn't. So I'll let you guys go. Let's stand. We'll go ahead and have the worship team come on up. They can just uh, maybe close in a chorus. And uh, we want to give everybody an opportunity to, to pray, to receive prayer. And so if you're in here with us today and, you know, your marriage is great, if your marriage is struggling, if you're single and um, something going on that you'd like prayer for, Lenny and I will be up front to pray for you. Love to encourage you guys. The area of marriage is a place that the enemy is going to attack. The areas of relationships 
is an area where Satan attacks. And we as Christian folks, we got to be on our guard in our relationships. And, you know, I, I don't know, I've seen too many sad situations. The Bible says God hates divorce. And, and the reason God hates divorce is because there's just a lot of pain. It's just a lot of trouble. And, and not to say God hates folks that have been divorced or, you know, that God doesn't work in restoring people's lives. That's not the situation at all. But if you're married in here today, that, that's how God wants you to stay. And for good reason. Whether this is the first or the second or the third, it doesn't matter. You're in a place now where you're walking with the Lord. You're moving forward. And God wants you to stay married. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it, especially if you have kids together and a life together. And, and you'll be way more happy, I can promise you, in five years from now, if you stayed together and worked on the marriage that you have, making it better than trying to find and start over with somebody else. And so we want to just encourage you guys in here today. You know, if it's, if it's in broken situation, you know, you have to serve Jesus first. The only way it's going to work is if you, both of you together are seeking Jesus first. And if you do that, it'll fix so many of the other problems. Love Jesus, and God will take care of so many things in your life. But, um, you know, talk to somebody. Get some help. Talk to Lydia and I. Maybe your marriage is great. You can come let me know, and then when people come to me whose marriages aren't great, I'll send them to you, and you can tell them how you did it. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And I thank you for marriages. And Lord, I thank you for the strength of marriages. And God, as we pray together, we want to have strong marriages in our church. And it's the foundation of the family and of, and of our lives. And um, Lord, we want to make it. And I thank you that Lydia and I are going to be celebrating 20 years of marriage this, this year, faithfully to one another. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for 20 more years. And Lord, I, I pray, God, that for the areas where Lydia and I have done well, that you would use that. And, and Lord, the areas that we've struggled and, and not done so well and failed, that you'd forgive us and help us to do better. And Lord, that same prayer for all of our marriages in here today, God. And Lord, I pray for our single people in here today that they would trust in you in every area of their lives. And even when the situation looks bleak, the whole Bible is about bleak situations that you showed up and did something miraculous in. And so, Father, help us to trust in you. I pray for the kids that you would help the children to be obedient to what the Bible says and to listen to their parents because the parents have been placed in their lives until one day when, when they leave the hand of father and mother and, and join hands with Jesus. And until then, the parents shepherd the kids and watch over them. And the kids are called to obey and listen. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray, Father, for anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, that today they would say yes to Jesus and ask him in their heart to be their Lord and Savior, surrendering their heart and life to Jesus, believing that he died and he rose again, confessing with the mouth the Lord Jesus. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.